0: and welcome to We the Sheeple, your bi-weekly podcast guide into the wild and wacky world of conspiracy theories and misinformation. I'm your host, Trent Jones, and with me, as always, my co-host, Tom McVeigh, is what I would say if dear old Tom was actually able to be here with us this week. Um, But unfortunately, that is not the case. And of course, we have our silent but definitely real producer, Devin, He is omnipresent and thus always with us. Um, Yeah, so you may have noticed already that this recording did not come out at the normal release schedule on a Wednesday. Um, Unfortunately, Tom has been super duper duper busy with work and we were not able to schedule um, any recording sessions and we ran through our backlog of episodes. So here we are. Um, So I was just going to record a short message and kind of explain that, that we uh, may miss an upload or two in the coming coming weeks, Um, but then I had a little idea when I was just living my life these last couple weeks. Um, So unless you are living under a rock, I am sure you have heard of uh, Russia's recent invasion um, of Ukraine, or I should say at least attempted invasion, um, as they haven't really gained a ton of ground this far. Um, it's escalating by the day. If you haven't looked into it at all, I encourage you. It's a very, very important world event. It's a land war in Europe in our lifetime, which is particularly unusual. Um, so with all that being said, I, we don't normally just cover, you know, current event topics on the show for no reason. Um, But as I was kind of following the situation and, you know, trying to learn as much as I can, I noticed there's a substantial amount of disinformation flying around, which is, you know, normal, as you might expect from a, you know, rapidly evolving um, situation. But there's a lot more to it than that. Um, So basically what I want to do is I want to give a little bit of background real fast on What's happening with the conflict? Just so you're all educated, so perhaps you can, <clears throat> you know, sort out the lies a little bit easier. Um, and then we're going to talk about the way that disinformation is really, really actively involved in this uh, particular conflict. Um, so first, we're just going to talk about Russian history for a hot second. Um, so at the turn of the 20th century, that's kind of where we'll start. I know there's a ton more before that, but in my opinion, this is where the context for, you know, modern Russia really begins. Um, they were still being ruled by czars, or however you pronounce that in a proper uh, Russian accent. But they're basically an emperor or a monarch. They wield more or less absolute power. Um, so, long story short, the last Russian czar, Nicholas II, he ruled from 1894 to 18... or 1918, excuse me. Um, and in 1905, he became so deeply unpopular um, for a lot of good reasons, but the last straw in 1905 was that he opened fire on a crowd of protesters led by a priest that approached the uh, castle to, or palace, whatever you want to call it, to, you know, protest some of the bad conditions they were getting, all these kind of things. Um, so... Then, <clears throat> after this, he another bigger crowd of revolutionaries pretty much rose up across the country and demanded reforms, um, which he reluctantly granted them some limited reforms and he created a uh, they call it the Duma, uh, which was sort of a little legislature. They were supposed to have you know a say whenever he passed a new law or anything like that. Um, we'll see in practice it did not quite go that way um so you fast forward just a couple years and russia gets involved in the early parts of world war one um and there were a lot of russian casualties in some of the early events of world war one and there was began to be kind of you know demoralization because of that uh, among russians and then continuing combination of military and government failures on behalf of dear old nick Uh, Turned the populace, you know, really strongly against him again. Um, And it didn't help that he stopped, as far as I can tell, he kind of just started ignoring the Duma that he created entirely. Um, So finally, in 1917, after the culmination of a lot of these issues, uh, revolution broke out and overthrew the aristocracy, and um, uh, dear old Nick abdicated the throne and fled somewhere. I didn't read that far. Um, so this was followed by a short period, relatively short period of civil unrest and civil war. Um, and things, as things began to stabilize, uh, the Soviet union emerged. Um, so I should mention that all of this event basically took them out of world war one as well. They, they stopped being a major player just cause they couldn't, you know, they couldn't participate in a, in an organized fashion anymore. Um, so, uh, things began to stabilize. Like I said, Soviet Union starts to emerge and things were relatively, it seems like, um, things were going pretty well at the beginning. Uh, the economy was largely nationalized. It seemed like that was kind of a holdover from war times. Um, and then that just kind of stuck around to a lesser degree as far as I can tell. Um, but some social aspects of life after actually were, going pretty well. Um, there was women experienced a lot of equality that was uncommon at the time. Apparently, um, there was state sponsored childcare. So, and women were encouraged, basically had equal legal standing to men, it appeared, and they were encouraged to go to school and join the workforce. So that's pretty neat. Um, and then, uh, things get not as great. So, it's worth mentioning the Soviet Union was kind of a, it was envisioned to be a collection of, they called them Soviets, were, you know, organizations of workers, as far as I can tell, and basically little committees, and they build bureaucracy on top of each other, and that was how the government was supposed to be run, um, but as will, and many people probably remember it now, that became not the case pretty, pretty quickly. So, leading up to World War II, Joseph Stalin, I'm sure we've all heard that name before, he consolidated power and became a de facto dictator. So, and I should mention, this is kind of the case most times for dictatorships or authoritarian regimes. Um, in name, they don't call themselves a dictatorship or an authoritarian re- regime, but in practice or de facto, meaning in fact... Um, they they actually are so they may hide under the guise of you know a republic some sort of you know representational form of government but often that's just kind of theater um and people really know that one guy's in charge and one guy only and so that was the case with stalin he started to eliminate political enemies and he gained all the all the power um So, lots of bad stuff happened. You can read into all the terrible things he did to his own people. Um, and the USSR consolidated control of most of Eastern Europe, um, post-World War II. So, modern-day Russia is only a fraction of, a large fraction, but only a fraction of what the USSR controlled. Um, they controlled, you know, Germany was still split in half at this time, um, and they controlled a whole swath of, uh, countries that we in the West, at least in America, I've heard them referred commonly to as the Eastern Bloc or the satellite states. and um, which is kind of like the whole band of countries all along Russia's border. So you got Belarus, um, uh, Moldova, all those Lithuania, Latvia, all those countries along that, that border, they, they controlled, um, So we're going to jump way 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 forward there's a ton more history in between there all the cold war all this different stuff but you jump all the way forward to the 1990s and the soviet union collapsed pretty early in the 1990s it's 1991 if i'm not mistaken was the final you know collapse um and so many of those russian territories i was just talking about called the eastern bloc that aren't what we know today as russia um and satellite states they all started to break away from russia Um, Some of them would embrace more Western ideals, such as Ukraine. Uh, Some of them less so, and, you know, I'm sure each of those countries has a a detailed history if you're interested in learning. Um, But yeah, so they more or less lost control. A lot of turbulence during that time. Even Russia itself was still trying to figure out, you know, stabilize and figure out how to govern themselves after the Soviet Union fell. And so out of this, um, you know, you see that Russia more or less abandons the communistic ideals that had um, existed to whatever degree during the Soviet Union, and they eventually settled into a system that most people would recognize as oligarchy. Um, So it's kind of a lot of history, um, but Basically, as far as I can tell, under certain government leadership, um, individuals uh, got control over different, you know, crucial parts of the Russian economy and industrial complex. So, uh, remember, during the USSR, this all would have been, you know, um, consolidated under the government. Um, So then after that falls, you more or less just have these giant corporations for lack of a better way to say it, um, and it appears that one way or another people kind of grappled for control over these, and then eventually people gained control um, of these companies either by taking it or being given it by the political elite, um, and then these people we would refer to as oligarchs. Oligarchs are people who are incredibly wealthy um, and hold a large amount of political influence in a given Um, system of government, and typically you would think of it as they have kind of an illegitimately high amount of influence in the government. So, you know, a rich person's level of influence in the United States is probably a little bit different than it is in Russia for one of these oligarchs, but even that is probably not the greatest example. Um, Yeah, so that happened. Eventually you see Vladimir Putin, the still current leader of uh russia today um rise to power uh it's worth mentioning he's been in you know a powerful position within the government for like 20 years now um yeah so that doesn't happen very often um they are what you might call a guided democracy like i said many authoritarian regimes tend to You know still be operating under a country that is technically um or in name uh, a democracy or a republic or something like that which russia is they have a constitution that dictates a lot of these different things um but pretty much it's well understood that putin is the man in charge and is you know the head honcho he calls all the shots and he pretty much can get away with whatever he wants um one example of that if i remember correctly uh he literally rewrote parts of the russian constitution to keep himself in power past when he would have naturally lost that those positions of power under the if he just followed you know their constitution um so putin and all his oligarch friends are extremely wealthy and have tons of political influence um in 2020 uh this is there's a nice website out there um that actually shows you the concentration of wealth in different countries um, let me find that name for you real fast do 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 let me look at my sources down here uh, 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 mm, mm, mm. where is it hold on hold on world inequity database yeah That's it's kind of interesting to look at Um, but in any case this source uh, can tell you the concentration of wealth in different countries at different times and in 2020 their estimate was that the top 10 percent of richest individuals in russia own 46.4 percent of the wealth and the top one percent owned 21.4 percent of the wealth and before you throw stones um if you're an american like me You should know that the United States has very, very similar numbers. Let me give you those numbers again. The top 10% of individuals owned almost half of the entire wealth in that country, in Russia and in the United States. And the top 1%, and it's probably even a, you could probably get way more granular than that. I imagine a very, very small amount of individuals own, you know, 21.4% of the entire wealth of the country. is pretty crazy um so in any case that's kind of the political landscape in modern russia Um, and kind of as cold war artifacts um there's generally an anti-west sentiment that persists in russian politics particularly at the height the higher points of russian politics Um, and their objectives are typically to weaken the influence of western countries in russia and in the eastern Bloc. and just generally i would say um, weaken Western powers like the United States, those in the EU, like Germany, France, um, those that, you know, are a little bit more democratically run than the Eastern Bloc countries typically are, um, they want to weaken those, those countries' influence um, generally. Um, so then Ukraine's history, just so we can understand both sides of the conflict, Ukraine kind of, it's been a separate, you know, distinct region and cultural identity i would say within um within that part of the world for a long time even under the ussr they were you know the second largest of the states that kind of agreed on and formed the ussr they were second only to russia um and so they gained independence 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 in 1991 after the fall of the soviet union um, and they adopted a more democratic Western-style government, aimed to be friendly to both Russia and the Western countries, kind of not to poke that bear. And uh, they wanted to stay neutral. But then in 2013, um, the government was overthrown after the president cozied up to Russia and kind of moved away from Western relations. Um, the populace at large was pretty upset about this, and they, yeah, overthrew. Uh, the government. I think it was relatively peaceful, but don't quote me on that. Um, They installed a new leader, and a few changes were made uh, that pretty much have lasted till today, and that kind of resulted in the Ukraine cozying back up to uh, the EU and the Western powers. Um, So much so that I think in a different political climate, they would have definitely joined the EU by now, and potentially NATO as well. NATO is, um, I forget what it stands for, but it is basically a conglomerate of, you know, countries that have signed a joint treaty. Basically that they're all, if anybody gets attacked in the, in the Alliance, then, uh, they all have a duty to respond or to protect, uh, that attacked, uh, nation. But mostly those are Western nations in, in NATO, uh, Western democratic nations. So yeah, following that, 2013 kind of destabilization of the uh, government there in Ukraine. Um, this kind of allowed Russia to pretty easily annex the Crimea region in 2014. They just literally took it. Um, I don't know how many people would remember that at this point, but that was big news in the day. Um, they literally just walked into part of Russia's, you know, borders and just said, this part is ours now. Um, and, and just nabbed it. Um, which is pretty not cool. Um, then there has been an ongoing armed conflict uh, between the Ukrainian government and Russian-backed separatists um, in eastern portions of Ukraine. Um, as I understand it, and at least how it is kind of portrayed, is there are people within those regions that uh, want to be part of Russia or have mo- identify more with Russia and would like to either, you know, separate from the Ukraine and rule themselves, um, probably with more Russian influence than anything else, or just, you know, be part of Russia. Um, but it's kind of hard to tell. Um, like I said, there's a lot of disinformation flying around. Um, but yeah, there's been an ongoing armed conflict in two Western regions, um, or not Western, Eastern regions of Ukraine pretty much since, you know, 2014, I think it is. Um, So then we get to the Russian invasion. So as early as the spring of uh, 2020, Russia was reported to have started accumulating military forces along the Ukrainian border. Um, And then last Tuesday, the 22nd, uh, Putin ordered troops into the breakaway regions that have had the ongoing fighting on peacekeeping missions, whatever that means. Um, Then following that up on Thursday, the 24th, Russian troops invaded, uh, with Putin calling it a special military operation, uh, to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. So that's a lot of loaded language there, but basically what you need to know is he rolled on in with his troops. Um, you know, sovereign nation as Ukraine is, Russian troops just bulldozed right in and started trying to take over. Um, so far, it's estimated that at least a million people have fled Ukraine, um, which is about 2% of the total 44 million person population. Um, it's expected to go keep going up, um, quite frankly. And so far, Ukraine has managed to hold out defense fairly successfully so far, probably more successfully than anyone would have anticipated. Um, Russia has a substantially larger military um, and just more military power. Um, but Ukraine has managed to successfully defend, uh, for quite a while now. Um, the capital of Kiev hasn't been captured and few major population centers, if any have been captured. I think there were a couple that in recent days that have been taken. Um, there's some evidence that Russia is just attacking civilian targets now. Um, and Russian, or sorry, Western officials are warning that Russia might be shifting strategy from a quick takeover to dealing as much damage as possible, what you might call a war of attrition. So it's speculated that Russia's initial goal was to storm through Ukraine really, really quickly and take over before any substantial, you know, resistance could have been organized. Um, and they failed pretty spectacularly at that. Um, so now, yeah, since Russia is the larger military power, it it appears as though their plan going forward is just going to be cause as much pain and suffering as you can um, in Ukraine. And hopefully then the Ukraine will just surrender um, and not be able to keep up. Um, yeah, like I'm saying, the Ukraine Ukraine is not likely to hold up to a long term assault, um, even with substantial donations of weapons and aid from the West. You know, there's only so much that money and more weapons can do if you don't have trained troops to use them. Um, So the rest of the world has imposed, as a result of this, you know, the rest of the world didn't believe what Putin said about it, that it was just some special military operation to demilitarize and all this kind of stuff, peacekeeping. Um, They saw right through that, and the rest of the world has imposed pretty merciless economic sanctions against Russia and some of the oligarchs I was mentioning specifically. Um, in the short term, it's tanked the value of the ruble, the Russian currency, by a lot. I think it's as much as 30% now. Um, so imagine that you wake up tomorrow and the money you had in your bank account is suddenly you know, 30% less. Um, and in the long term, it's gonna crater the Russian economy, uh, as a whole, um, but it's worth noting that most of the rich folks probably won't, they will lose some money, I'm sure, and they will feel some pain, but they have so much money, it's not like they're gonna be starving in the street, um, but that will probably be the reality for many Russian civilians, um, as this continues, because even if they stop the war tomorrow, I can't imagine that many of those sanctions would be lifted, um, they're kind of at the point of no return now. Um and a lot of these rich folks, you know, they're globetrotters, jet setters, they have tons and tons of foreign investments, and they've had plenty of time, uh probably had a substantial amount of warning that this was going to happen. Um, they've had plenty of time to hide all their money abroad and in foreign investments. So even with all these sanctions and you know, trying to cut Russia out of the world economy the rich folks probably aren't going to feel the pain very much. Um, So like I said, normally I wouldn't just cover a current event topic on this podcast just because. Um, But the thing that convinced me was as I was trying to learn about this, I saw the normal amount of misinformation that you would see, you know, just rumors being spread accidentally or some people knowingly, you know, posting false information unrelated photos or videos and misattributing them just for attention. Um, but those are, you know, singular actors and those, those happen. Um, but there's something much more serious happening here too, and that would be organized and state funded misinformation. Um, so what I would call a more traditional style of organized disinformation is propaganda. We're all probably so familiar with the word that it may have lost its meaning entirely, um but I think Wikipedia here actually believe it or not summarized it pretty well. Um so this is Wikipedia's definition of propaganda. Propaganda is communication that is primarily used to influence an audience and further an agenda which may not be objective and may be selectively presenting facts to encourage a particular synthesis or perception or using loaded language to produce an emotional rather than a rational response to the information that is being presented. Yeah. So a lot to unpack there. You might say, how do we draw a line between, you know, just regular speech trying to convince somebody of something that you believe is true and what is propaganda? Um, And so one of the key things that they mentioned there is this idea of loaded language. Um, So loaded languages are words that have a lot of attached emotions or connotations. So they're less about presenting. Specific precise amounts of information, and they're more about giving you a feeling um, when when you hear them or read them or whatever. Um, so, an example I'd use from you know current American context is the word communist and the word fascist. So, technically, those are kind of two ends of the spectrum when you're talking about a political alignment. Um, fascist being, you believe that the government should have you know, total and complete control, strongman rule, basically, um, and communist being kind of the opposite end, but also not quite. It's it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, but I know at least my experience in the United States, particularly for people a little bit older than than me that grew up during the uh, the Cold War era, um, the word communist or has such a con- loaded connotation to it that it almost has no meaning anymore from what it actually is. It's it's so far beyond the literal definition of that word that it is kind of unprecise and becomes this loaded language. So the famous author George Orwell um, actually has a pretty good discussion or this little uh, excerpt I'm going to read from an essay of his uh, that he wrote in 1946 called "Politics in the English Language." Um, So I'm just going to read you, uh, read this verbatim. The word fascism has now no meaning except insofar as it signifies something not desirable. The word democracy, socialism, freedom, patriotic, realistic, justice, have each of them several different meanings, which cannot be reconciled with one another. In the case of a word like democracy, not only is there no agreed definition, but the attempt to make one is resisted from all sides. It is almost universally felt that when we call a country democratic, we are praising it. Consequently, the defenders of every kind of regime claim that it is a, dem- uh, that it is a democracy, and fear that they might have to stop using that word if it were tied down to any one meaning. Yeah, so like I kind of talked about, just by using the term democracy to describe your own political system, even if it's completely untrue and you're an authoritarian regime, you can kind of elicit those emotions, right? Um, So yeah, that's just worth thinking. You heard it from the man himself, George Orwell. He wrote the book 1984. Probably many, many people are familiar with him. He's often quoted um, when talking about, you know, disinformation and and how that all kind of works Um, way ahead of his time too. That was written in 1946. And I feel like not much has changed. Um, So Russia currently has a centralized media network. So basically all the major media networks that operate in Russia, the government owns and controls. Um, And they actively dictate what can and can't be said, uh, sometimes called censorship um, as well. Um, there's been lots of evidence, some of which is coming from captured Russian soldiers themselves, um, saying that they were lied to by their superiors about the invasion. Uh, they were told, and there's kind of, I've heard differing accounts. I'm not sure how they all fit together, but some of them were saying that they believed it was, they were told it was just going to be a training exercise. Um, and then others were told that same kind of rhetoric, um, that it was an operation to clear out, you know, bad actors in Ukraine and that generally the population of Ukraine was, would be very helpful and celebrate this, this action. Um, and many of them, you can, there are a lot of videos flying around out there again, hard to tell sometimes whether they're real or not. Um, but there's so many of those videos flying around of captured Russian soldiers kind of talking about that. And they seem just very confused and a lot of them very, very upset. Um, it's worth noting as well that they, there are reports that they tended to pick, um, particularly young and, you know, easier to manipulate people, um, soldiers to go. So a lot of these, a lot of these soldiers are kids on the Russian side, you know, they're probably 18, 19, 20. Um, yeah, it's pretty horrible. Um, and so what do we do with that? Um, kind of hard to tell like i said just be aware that russia has a very very active propaganda machine um in the traditional sense that the state sponsored media is feeding you know a narrative that they want most russians to believe so um sometimes you'll see interviews with russians on the street that they're you know they will regurgitate this propaganda that it's, you know, not a war, that Russia is the victim here, that Ukraine's being aggressive, all these kind of things, um, that, that fit this narrative by the Russian propaganda. Um, and people really believe it. It's, it's really unfortunate. Um, again, I don't think we can really throw too many stones here in the United States because there's so many people that will just go along with whatever one political figure that they happen to like says, and really don't give any deference to what are the actual facts about the situation and how, you know, what is this situation really like and how do I feel about it? Um, And moreover than that, how do I think about it rather than how do I feel about it? So generally, I'd say don't listen to any media. That's primary goal is to change your feelings and not your reasoned beliefs. Um, That's a pretty vague idea. I think it's a nice sentence, but perhaps not very actionable. So perhaps more helpful advice is to try and think at all times, what are the motives of this person or this organization that's delivering you the information? What are their motives and what are they trying to get you to do? Um, Yeah. So just be conscious of that. Um, And of course, practice helpful, you know, general online smart habits of how you Digest information. So check the source. If it seems kind of shady, it probably is. Stick. Try to stick to well-renowned um, news outlets. I would say one that I like a lot is the Associated Press. They are pretty much as straight down the middle. You know, just presenting facts as any organization I've come across. They've. They're a nonprofit, if I'm not mistaken, and they've been around. They're a global organization, and they've been around since, I think, the late 1800s. So, yeah, use that as you will. Just be wary of any network that, you know, has an agenda. What are they trying to get you to think, and why are they trying to get you to think that way? Um, So that's kind of the traditional, I would say, form of organized state-sponsored misinformation. Um, But there's kind of this really, really interesting new way that russia has been approaching organized disinformation and that would be what you might have heard called troll farms um, which sounds kind of whimsical but it's pretty pretty nefarious Um, so it's been pretty well documented by u.s intelligence at the very least that russia has actively sought to influence the politics and political beliefs in the u.s and i'm sure that extends beyond the united states too Um, that's just my context and that's the information I could find the easiest. Um, so in a 2016, 2017 joint investigation by the CIA, uh, NSA and FBI, all of those for people who don't live in the United States are kind of, I don't want to say espionage organizations, kind of the CIA, I would consider that, but they're all intelligence organizations. Um, which is kind of a broad term, but that's as good as I can define it, I think. Um, So they did this joint investigation and concluded a few things about Russia's use of disinformation in the United States, uh, particularly applying to the 2016 presidential election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Um, And so these are going to be some direct quotes from this report. Um, Again, three different agencies all doing this same kind of research and working together, collaborating to try and figure out what was going on here. And I'll say that before, I know there are some people who would just not trust, um, this investigation for one reason or another, probably politically motivated. I would suggest that it would be extremely difficult for a particular political party or organization to control one of these agencies these agencies are made up of tons and tons of people all, you know, working together. It would be very, very difficult for somebody to, you know, wrest control of these, these organizations. So I think it's trustworthy. Um, and so here are the direct quotes. We assess Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the U.S. presidential election. Russia's goals were to undermine public faith in the U.S., in the U.S. democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton, and harm her electability and potential presidency. We further assess Putin and the Russian government developed a clear preference for President elect Trump. So that is the end of the first quote. Um, Second quote. And you can speculate why they may have preferred Trump over Clinton. You know. That's, to me, that's less important than the fact that they, you know, actively did interfere in U.S. politics. Um, so this will be the second quote. Russia's intelligence services conducted cyber operations against targets associated with the 2016 U.S. presidential election, including targets associated with both major U.S. political parties. We assess Russian intelligence services collected against the U.S. primary candidates, think tanks, and lobbying groups they viewed as likely to shape future U.S. policies. In July 2015, Russian intelligence gained access to Democratic National Committee, DNC, networks, and maintained that access until at least June 2016. So basically, they hacked into, you know, one of the major, the United States is a two-party system, the uh, um, Republicans and Democrats, So basically what this is saying is that Russia intelligence operatives successfully gained access to the democratic national committee, you know, the entire organization behind the democratic party, you know, gained access to their computer networks and who knows what they, what information they got from that. Um, and this will be the last quote, Russia's state run propaganda machine comprised of its domestic media apparatus. Outlets targeting global audiences such as RT and Sputnik and a network of quasi-governmental trolls contributed to the influence campaign by serving as a platform for Kremlin messaging to Russian and international audiences. So there you go. Um, One thing I will point out is I have seen these uh, news outlets... RT, which used to stand for Russia Today, but they shortened it to RT, and Sputnik, they regularly write English language articles. They operated in the United States, and I know just recently uh, RT, on the back of all this anti-Russian sentiment, just closed down their entire United States operation, because you know, which is probably a good thing. Um, So always be aware of who controls whatever media organization you're listening to. I'll just throw that out there again. Um, So there's lots of evidence that Russia's internet research agency uh, is actually a troll farm. Um, So basically, they use a huge amount of fake accounts across public forums like social media, comment sections, message boards, to spread their desired narrative. Often it is like we are talking about with propaganda. It, It appeals to emotion and it is not objectively true. Um, It's not trying to get you to think critically about something. It's trying to get you to believe whatever that person wants you to believe about it. Um, So one of the big ways that they can do this is by driving engagement, as we would say in the online space, which tricks uh, the algorithms that are baked into many social media sites into picking up that biased content and spreading it to more users. So to try and explain this a little bit, to people who may not be familiar with this concept of how social media websites use algorithms. Um, basically the site is trying to, it's trying, it's trying to figure out what, um, what content that's being posted to the social media site to, you know, give to other users, right? So there's an incredible amount of content being generated. Um, one of the main goals for that social media site is to deliver you something that you want to see and will enjoy that will keep you on that social media site longer because then they can get, you know, advertiser money, however they generate uh, money is going to be based on you staying on that social media site or website for that matter. Um, So basically the site, many of them use popularity as one metric by which to judge whether or not something should be suggested to a user. So Basically, it's like a it's like a stone rolling downhill, right? Or perhaps a snowball rolling downhill is a better analogy. As it starts rolling, if it successfully picks up more and more snow and gets bigger and bigger, starts rolling even faster downhill, which makes it pick up more snow and so on and so forth. It's kind of a feedback loop in that way. Um, and so normally, you know, I should say one example of that is, you know, going viral. That's what that really means is you gain... You've gained so much steam behind that post that there's so much engagement. It's just going to continue to get spread farther and farther and farther. Um, and so normally that works fine. You can disagree with how, whether that's a good way to distribute information or not, but you know, it's the way that these social media sites work and it's not particularly nefarious most of the time, but it can be manipulated. Um, and so Kind of what we're talking about, if you get a couple hundred people, you know, maybe even a thousand people, all that their job every day is to sit there eight hours a day, control five, 10, 20, however many social media accounts and just artificially either create content that is super biased or engage with content that is super biased, you know, give it a bunch of likes, start putting a bunch of comments That'll drive the engagement on these platforms, and it can be v- pretty difficult for these, you know, tech giants to figure out how to filter out what's really somebody saying this and what people are really interacting with, and what is, you know, fake and manufactured. Um, and it can be really challenging. One of the other really sophisticated ways that they'll do this now is what we call bots. So you can literally you can write programs. Um, and set things up in such a way in a computer that it'll operate tons and tons, maybe even create tons and tons of fake accounts on these websites for you that you can direct all at the same time to, you know, give a thousand, ten thousand likes all at once, rather than having to have a person individually log into an account and do it one by one. So it's pretty, pretty bad. And I would say it's Honestly, it's not that hard to find a lot of these bots sometimes, but other times it is. And quite frankly, it doesn't really matter some of the time if you find the bot or not, because that that information is going to get distributed if they can drive enough engagement and the, the platform isn't good enough at filtering that out. Um, and so it's guessed that this group was formed. Like I said, this particular troll farm was formed um, a little bit before russia's annexation of crimea in 2014 just to try to sow confusion and drive engagement drive a narrative about that particular event and then after that went off uh was pivoted towards the 2016 election so that's how russia is and i shouldn't just say russia but i think they're the biggest force behind that right now they in many ways i think pioneered it they are using the internet much to their advantage to spread misinformation on a large scale and drive a state-sponsored narrative that they want told. Um, So I would say the best thing you can do to resist is be very wary when you're on the internet about what you're hearing. Wait until you hear it from, you know, several different uh, sources and preferably trustworthy sources. And I don't know, just be wise when you're online and try try to spot these things. Sometimes you can even spot these bot accounts If you click into the person's profile and they have basically done nothing on the social media site, they appear to be a brand new account that maybe has some generic picture. That's usually a pretty good clue that it's a bot. Um, Not always, but many of the times. Um, But that's all I have for you this week. Thank you guys for rolling with us for this, you know, unusual episode. I'll I'll put it that way. And uh, we hope to get back to our regular recording and uploading schedule um, here soon, but Just stay tuned, um, and hopefully you'll figure it out. Um, Per usual, follow us on Twitter. If you have a Twitter and you like that sort of thing, we are at WeTheSheeplePod. If you have a topic you think we should cover, or you just want to say hi, you know, whatever, um, you can email us at WeTheSheeplePod, all lowercase, at gmail.com. Just thank you all so much for listening. Tell your friends, tell your family, if you think this is something they would enjoy. Uh, particularly this episode, if you think there's somebody in your life that needs to know more about this Russian situation and isn't really interested in getting this information any other way, send them our way. Um, but thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, wake up, sheeple.